absolutely not enough. And so you want to know what the Lord's call in your life is? If you're sitting in this purple chair, if you identify with this body, if you want to know what the call in your life is, it's this. It's to be a reformer here. It's to be a reformer. It's to be a reformer where you work, where you teach, where you go to school, in the neighborhoods that you live, and at the church that you go to. You're called to reformation. You're called to bring people an encounter with God. Everyone who encounters God brings other people into an encounter with God. It's an impossibility. It's illegal even. It would be illegal to encounter God and then not to be able to share what you got. Jesus looks at his disciples in, in Matthew chapter 10 and he says, you guys have received freely, now freely give. What's the point? The point is this. You can't give anything you haven't received. And you know, if I went through the room and we took, and we took testimony from everyone about what we've received from the Lord Jesus, the list would be long. It would be, it would be salvation. It would be forgiveness. And you know, if I were to ask everyone in the room, man, have you received the Holy Spirit? Most people in the room would say yes. And, and that comes with, a, that comes with the, the weight and the burden to extend that goodness of God, the experience of goodness, that goodness of God, to extend that to the places that we live and the culture that, we, that we're born into. And that'd be, that'd be right here, right now. So we've been having this conversation. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at how we can position ourselves for an encounter with the Holy Spirit. You know, you know it's, it, we want to be reformers. Uh, everyone who, who, who has an encounter with the Holy Spirit encounters others for change in their culture. And so it would be good to know, how do we, how do we position ourselves for an encounter with the Holy Spirit? And, and so over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at a couple ways. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 and 17, this is what Jesus says to the disciples. And this is what Matthew writes. He says, this is at the end. Jesus is about to ascend. And this is, this is what the Bible records for us. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. You should underline that little phrase there where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Well, what's the point? The point is this. The disciples encounter the resurrected Jesus right before he's about to leave the planet for one simple reason. They encounter him because of obedience. There's something about obedience that puts us in a place to receive and have an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. So how do we position ourselves for a move of the Holy Spirit? By, by hearing the Lord, but not just hearing, but being a doer and, uh, and walking in obedience. Furthermore, in Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 18 through 20, just the next couple verses, we see another way in which we position ourselves for a move of the Holy Spirit. This is what Matthew records for us. He says, then the disciples came to him and they said, this is, Jesus said to the disciples rather, he says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now, these are very famous verses. They have a lot of stained glass. There's a lot of religion and crystallized on these words. But, but here, here's the point I want us to see is this, that, uh, that the promise of presence at the very end there, that last phrase, if you want to put that back up, verse 20, Jesus, Jesus makes this magnificent promise to his disciples. He says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is promising presence. And, and, um, and so we know that presence upon a person changes the culture. And, and, and here's the point. The way we walk in this, in this promise, the way we encounter the presence of Jesus is by committing ourselves to the mission of Jesus. And, and, it, and it kind of goes like this. To the extent that I, that I commit myself to be a disciple, and not just be a disciple, but be a disciple who makes, the, makes disciples, at, to the point that I, that I commit to that sort of relationship with Jesus is the, point, is the point to which Jesus promises me to be with me. Can we see that? 
Jesus' promise of presence is within the context of commitment to his mission. So how do we, how do we encounter the Holy Spirit? Number one, we, just obedience puts us in a place. Number two, there's something about commitment to Jesus' mission that puts us in a position to encounter his presence. And then last week we looked at hunger and how hunger affects an encounter with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, it says this, On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, here again, the disciples didn't run off. They stuck around, they stuck around and so obedience leads them into into an encounter but they didn't just they didn't just hang out they they waited in a particular way and they waited they waited in prayer in uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 14 it says this they says they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers and um, and the, the fashion and the way that they waited speaks to the condition of their heart you see you see prayer speaks to hunger uh, you know anything Anything that's really important about is probably the thing that ends up in your prayer life. People don't pray about insignificant things. We, we, we pray about those things uh, that are closest to us, those things that are, that, uh, that are most precious to us. And, and so when Jesus speaks this word, don't go anywhere, uh, the disciples don't just hang out. They hang out in prayer. It's a certain kind of waiting, and it speaks of hunger. And, there's, and, and hunger, it, it actually, maybe more than any other thing, draws the heart and the, and the eye of, of God and locates it on you, maybe more than any other thing. God just responds to hunger, hungry people. Last week we looked at, uh, just briefly, we looked at Mark chapter 8, which is where Jesus feeds the multitudes with just, just a couple fish and five loaves of bread. And, and, and before Jesus does it, he looks at his disciples and he says, disciples, you guys give them something to eat because they've been with me for three days out here in the desert, and if they go home, they're going to pass that along the way. Well, what's the point? The point is this, that those people had decided that being in the desert alone with no food, with Jesus, is better than being in town and well-fed. See, there's something about hunger that responds. There's something about hunger that gets the eye of God, and, and what happens? Jesus performs a massive miracle. They get satisfied. Satisfi satisfaction comes from first being hungry. Your, hunger, your hunger literally is what keeps you alive. And so Jesus responds to hunger. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about, quickly, I want to talk quickly about um, the results of encountering the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we want to talk about the results of encountering the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes, there's rushing wind, or at least there's the sound of rushing wind. There's flaming tongues of fire that drop on everyone. Everyone in the room begins to speak in languages that they don't know. <clears throat> and as they begin to speak, everyone who's outside begins to understand perfectly what's being said. And so there's this massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in that day, Peter gets up because there's, there's a bit of chaos and confusion. Peter stands up and he tells everyone what it means. And, and really, this is, one of the, this is one of the roles of the apostolic and prophetic ministry. It's to, it's to, it's to be able to give uh, people a context for the move of God. And so Peter stands up and he begins to preach a sermon based upon what the Holy Spirit had just been poured out. And at the end of his sermon, 3,000 people come to know the come to know Jesus and put their faith and trust in him in that one day. So what are the results of encountering the Holy Spirit? You know, really simply, the results are, you know, in, in, at least in a, a most basic fashion, are salvation. People can, 
People can trust Jesus. People, there's something about a move of the Holy Spirit that gives people the space in their mind, allows them to come to their senses. There's something about a move of the Holy Spirit that gives people space in their mind and in their hearts to be able to put trust in Jesus. But it's not just that. It's not just salvation. When the Holy Spirit comes, it's not just to save you from something, it's to save you to something. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes, it's not just to save you from hell, it's to save you to something. Let me put it this way, especially within the context of the passage we're going to look at this morning. When the Holy Spirit comes, it's not just just to save you from hell. It's not just so that you'll go to heaven when you die. It's so that, it's so that he wants to save you to some people. Let's look at our scripture this morning, okay? And while we look at it, I want us to keep in mind results. Results of encounters with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, all the way to 47. <clears throat> really famous. This is what it says. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thanks, Lord. Father, we ask that you'd open up our minds, you'd open up our hearts, and you'd allow us the space to encounter you this morning. Amen. Amen. It's a pretty good church, isn't it? Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It's a pretty good church, right? Yeah, see, the fellowship of the believers in Acts chapter 2, it's pretty remarkable. And, um, as we read through that, as every time I ever read through that, I just go, man, I want, I want to go to that church, you know? It's kind, of the, it's kind of the reaction I have in my heart. It's a remarkable church. But, um, but that church was, was birthed out of a move of the Holy Spirit. And so this is, this is the way it goes, and this is one of the first things I want, to see us, want us to see this morning, is that when a person encounters God, when, when a person meets the presence of God, when, when a person meets Jesus, when a person has the Holy Spirit come and rest upon them, it's a dynamic thing. I mean, and everybody, a lot of people in here has, have really had an encounter with the Lord, and if you, if you think back to those times when you really met the Lord, it was, it's a dynamic and it's an exhilarating thing, isn't it? There's something about it that just, that rocks us at the core. But there's something about, there's, and it, but here's the tricky part. There's something about meeting God. There's something about getting close to Jesus. And there's something about having an encounter with the Holy Spirit. It's so good. It's so incredibly good that sometimes we're tempted to think, this is about me. You know, here, here's the deal. It, it goes like this, and you know, if we're honest, I think we've all experienced this. Something about when God comes to you, when he comes on you, when, when he empowers you, when, when, when you get more, when you get the word from God, there's something about it. The love of the Father drops on you. And there's nothing like the love of the Father. And when the love of the Father drops on you, everything changes. And, and there's this little thing, at least at the beginning, and you begin to think, man, this must be about me. And here's what I want to tell you. It's about you and everyone else. See, a, a, move, a move of the Holy Spirit, when God deals with people, it's not just about you, it's about everybody. 
Because this is the way it goes. When God comes, see, calls are given, commissions are extended. Calls are, when God comes, calls are given, commissions are extended. You get goosebumps, it's exhilarating. When, when God comes, hope comes into your heart. I mean, try to just remember some of those times where you really met the Lord. Hope comes into your heart. When, when, when God comes to you, light comes in. Literally, supernatural light comes into your heart. When God comes, darkness goes. And so we're tempted to think, man, this must, he, he loves me so much, this must be about me. But here's the thing. The word of the Lord is this ever-expanding phenomenon. Uh, is everybody in here aware of this, this fact? This is really strange. The universe is even now expanding. It's getting bigger. This is an amazing thought. I mean, I, I watch this on, on, uh, on Discovery Channel sometimes, and it, it'll fry your brain if you, get, if you really start to really focus in on it. The universe is expanding and has always been expanding and will always expand. It keeps going out. What's the point? The point is this. That in Genesis chapter 1, when the Lord spoke into the nothingness, when he said, let there be light from, from a specific point and location in time, that word went out and the creative force that comes with it was put into effect. And even now, while we're sitting in this room, somewhere out the edge of the universe, it's moving. Well, what's the point of that? The point of that is this, that when the, when the word of the Lord comes to you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when, when the call of God rests upon you, when the, when the weight of the Holy Spirit hits your life, it's not just about you. You're just the spot and the location and the starting point. It's, it's ever expanding. You see, the word of the Lord is expanding just like the universe is right now. Jesus said this. He said, he said the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast that gets put into the dough and it eventually works its way all the way through. Jesus also, we won't even go there, but let me put it this way. It would be too long. <laughs> but the word of the Lord is expanding just like the universe is, just like yeast through dough, just like, just like the children of Israel through the promised land. There's an expansion of the dealings of God. When God deals with you, it's about you, but it's about taking what he's given to you. It's about taking the experience and the, and the, and the, uh, the, the encounter of his goodness and then expanding it to everyone around me. That's how communities get formed. That's why Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47 is real. That's why, that's why it happened. It's because Jesus looked at the 11 in chapter 1, and he says, don't go anywhere, wait for power. They waited for power. They have a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit, and that radical encounter with the Holy Spirit that was, that was literally promised to 11, what happens? It becomes the property of 120. No, it doesn't, it doesn't just stop there. It becomes the property of 3,000. By the time you get to Acts chapter 5, the church is 5,000 people. It's this expansion, the dealings of God. We have to get this church. When God deals with me, when God blesses me, when God empowers me, when God anoints me, when God puts favor upon me, it's not just for me, it's for everyone else. It's for everybody in the room. If we really get a hold of this, jealousy will go away. Because this is how it works. Because if I get blessed, the, the truth of the matter is, you guys get blessed. Any, anything, anything, any, any, in, anything that I, any deposit that God lives in, leaves in my life becomes a resource that you can draw upon. It's no accident that in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, that Paul uses the image of a body when he's talking about the church. 
You know, body, many parts, some hands. It's, it's no accident. You see, all of those body parts are nourished, fed, and sustained by the same blood. Am I right? So here's the deal. So anytime I get blessed, anytime you get blessed, whatever resource, whatever, whatever deposit is left in you becomes a resource for me to draw upon and vice versa. So when God deals with us, it's about everybody else. This is what God said to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12. He says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And then he goes on to say this. He says, and then all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And you can do a study on this. Anytime the Lord promises someone something, it's not just about that person. It's about the larger community. And so, and so when the Holy Spirit comes, community comes with it. God, God, God hasn't, God has no, he, he never conceived, he never conceived of blessing, he never conceived of promise outside of the context of community. So everybody that's in the row next to you, whatever, whatever God's promised you, it's, it's their province as well. And, and it's why, this is why it's so important that we press into the Lord and, and see, uh, see the day of breakthrough for the, for the promise and the destiny that he's promised us in our life. It's not just for you. Somebody else in the room probably needs it. So Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, why does it exist? It exists because when the Holy Spirit comes, community follows. It goes like this, the more I encounter God, the more I live in His presence, the more I should find that I'm sharing my life with others. It's a metric that we can live by. You can know that you're progressing in the Lord if you're sharing life with others more and more. To the extent that you become more and more isolated is the extent to which you're actually walking out of God's promise and protection and blessing on your life. He never conceived of blessing. He never conceived of promise. He never conceived of, of, of promotion outside of the context of community. So if I'm living in community, and not just living in community, but if I'm sharing life and increasingly sharing my life, it's a really good sign that I'm on the right path with the Lord. Second point and last point, and then we'll be done. Look at verse 47. This is what I really wanted to get to this morning. <clears throat> Let's look at the, the end part there. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. What's the point here? The point is this, that an encounter with the Holy Spirit doesn't just develop community. It doesn't just develop community. It does that, but not just. An encounter with the Holy Spirit develops community, and then that community becomes a cup. It becomes a, um, it becomes a structure for the increasing move of God. Y'all see that? Holy Spirit is poured out. Tongues of fire, unknown languages, 3,000 people get saved in one day. A community is formed. That community is devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to one another. They're devoted to fellowship. They're de devoted to the breaking of bread, which is communion. So they're devoted, devoted to relationship with the Lord, and they're devoted to prayer. And, and these devotions filled these devotions in addition to signs and wonders done by the apostles. These devotions in addition to the believers taking care of one another, selling their position, possessions. These devotions in addition to continuing to meet one, with one another in homes and sharing life together, they become a structure that the Lord says, I can bless that. 
And so he, he blesses that with more of his presence, and with more of his presence become, becomes more fruitfulness, and so more people get saved. Their numbers increase. We see this? That, that, that community is not just a result of the Holy Spirit moving. It actually ends up becoming a structure for a continued experience of the Lord. Here's why that's important. Because to the extent that we live in community, to the extent that we build a structure, let me, let me say it like this, to the extent we live in community is the extent we build a structure that the Lord can bless and our numbers can be increased. See, there's so much, there's so much of Campbellsville, uh, there's so much of, of, of God's heart for Campbellsville, there's so much of God's intention for Campbellsville to be changed, and it doesn't rest let me put it this way, so much of it rests with us in this room and, and, and it rests with our intentions toward one another. Am I going to share my life with people? It, it doesn't just rest with anointed preaching and anointed worship and, and new songs. All of those are good and they help. But it really does rest with, am I going to be vulnerable and share my life with people? So, so, much, so much of revival culture that, that Jesus has intended to establish in Campbellsville rests upon this, this, this one realization that community is a structure for more encounters with the Holy Spirit. Here's what I mean by a greater move as well. Peter, James, and John, and the other, other disciples who, who were with Jesus for three and a half years, perhaps more than anyone in history, they, they had close communion with, with Jesus in physical form. They could literally put their hands on him. I mean, this is pretty awesome. They could, they could put their hands on him. They, they, they heard his teaching. They saw what he did. They were just around him. I mean, his presence, just even when Jesus wasn't saying a word, he was, he was the word of God. And so his presence would have been dynamic. And just to be around him would cause your heart to come alive. And so perhaps more than anyone in all of history, the 11 encountered, they encountered Jesus. And because of that, they became, uh, they became, they became the tools and the instruments for a dramatic, uh, a dramatic move of the Holy Spirit. And so it, it, it works like this. The more I encounter God, the, the more useful I am to him. And, um, <clears throat> and it goes like this when it comes to a greater move with, within the context of community. Peter, James, and John, they had encountered the Lord, and, and uh, the Holy Spirit gets poured out, and Peter stands up, and he begins to preach his message. And, um, and people respond, and they, and they respond for all kinds of reasons. They respond because the Holy Spirit's there. They, they, respond, because, they respond because they're hurting, and, and when the Holy Spirit came, they, they were in an instant, they, they, you know, they, they just came, it's what I call, they came to their right mind. They, they realized that I'm a sick person and I'm in need of a Savior. Everything just kind of got crystal clear for them in that moment. And so the Holy Spirit fell on them and they were able to trust in Jesus. And, um, and it, goes, um, it goes like this. Um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't just... It wasn't just their realization that they had a need. It was, it was Peter's obedience 
to the Lord in that moment. And, and here, here's what I want us to see as well. Um, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, especially with this, this thought that, that, that community actually furthers and promotes continual moves of God. This is what it says. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That'd be good teaching, wouldn't it? You know, it'd be amazing teaching. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then look at verse 40, 43. It says, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. So there's, there's, this, there's this atmosphere where it's incredible teaching, and there's dramatic signs and wonders to the point that people are they're filled with a sense of awe. What that means is the fear of God was in the house. There was a respect for God that came in the house because of signs and wonders. And, and we're tempted to, to, read that, to read those words and think, well, that exists because, that exists because it's Peter, James, and John, and, they, and they, lived with, they lived with physical Jesus, and they touched him, and they walked with him. Except it continues. It, it wasn't something that just, just remained on, upon them and the community surrounded them. See, it started with them, community surrounded them, and then within that community, it grew and it, and it multiplied. Um, and I, I absolutely love these two examples. In, in the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 8, this is it's just a, a, little, a little phrase about Stephen. It says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Well, what's important about Stephen? What's important about Stephen might be what's not important about Stephen. Stephen wasn't an apostle. He was a deacon. So how did Stephen learn to move in great signs and wonders. He learned because he was in a community of where great signs and wonders were done by the apostles. It wasn't, see, it, community actually furthers the move of God. It, it perpetuates the dramatic outpouring that, that Peter and James and John and the other ones ha had walked in. It's now, being, it's now being perpetuated in a man named Stephen. And then my absolute favorite example in all the scripture is is Ananias from which is, and he's from Acts chapter 9 and this is where this is where Saul is on his way to Damascus to kill Christians and on the way God encounters Saul knocks him off of his donkey and he's blind and in chapter 9 Ananias shows up to go and minister to Paul and here's the deal this is what this is what uh, this is what Acts records about Ananias it says that he was a disciple he wasn't an apostle he was not a deacon he was just a disciple and disciple just means learner and he, and he lives a great distance away from Jerusalem. So by now, the gospel has moved. See, that circle has become ever increasingly larger. And now it's taking in people who are, who are just the disciples. And, and this is the, the, the really remarkable thing about Ananias. He was just a disciple, and he, he got a remarkable word of knowledge. Literally, God came and spoke to him specific instructions about a man named Saul that he knew would kill him if he got a chance, or at least that's what he thought. And Ananias submitted to the word of the Lord, goes... Find Saul blind, and check this, Ananias is just a disciple, puts his hands on, on Saul's eyes, the scales fall off, Ananias prays for him, Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized in water that very day. See, there's something about community that builds a context for further move of God. If it wasn't for the community in Acts chapter 2, there would be no Saul becoming Paul and the great apostle. Paul became an apostle at the hands of a disciple. Isn't that, I mean, that's phenomenal to me. It's not just, here's the deal, church, it's not just ministry to the saints, but it's, it's the ministry of the saints. And we've got to walk in that even more. 
One more thing and then we'll be done. In verse 42 and 43, we've already looked at this just a little bit, but it says that, it says that the early church was, you know, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread and prayer. And, and there was great signs and wonders to the point that there was a sense of awe in the community. And uh, these devotions um, of the early church, that word devoted, it doesn't just mean they were kind of into it or they liked it. It means, it means basically this. It means that, the, that the, the community that arose there in Jerusalem, that those people would rearrange their lives to partake of the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It means they would literally, they would literally rearrange their, their life and they would, they would force their schedule to submit to what's going on with Jesus and in the move of God. So you want to you you encounter more of the Holy Spirit? I mean, for some of us, it just means let's get a hold of our schedules a little bit. But that's, that's not really what I want to get to. That, but what I want to get to is this. So there's, there's the apostles, and at the beginning, most of the, most of the spectacular work is being done by the apostles. And, and people are literally rearranging their schedules so that they could go hear the apostles teach. That's pretty cool, especially if you're the apostles, right? Like, these people are rearranging their schedules to come hear me. That's pretty cool. And then in verse 43, you know, they're doing dramatic signs and wonders to the point that there's a sense of awe that just that grips the church. That's pretty cool, especially if you're the apostles, right? Yeah. Here's the other side of that coin. The other side of that coin is that the people who encounter the most Holy Spirit, the people who are most, most impacted by the Lord are the people who eventually become the biggest servants of the church. And so, you know, there's really nothing sexy about ministry. Um, it sometimes looks a little bit that way, but there's really nothing sexy about ministry. Uh, in Acts chapter 5, um, they talk about, there's, there's a little snippet in there about one of the, one of the prayer times that the, that the apostles had, and it says that, that people from all around came to the apostles, and that the apostles healed the sick and cast out devils. And then and the very last line, I think it's in verse, verse 19 of chapter 5, it says, and everyone who came was healed. That's a good meeting, isn't it? It'd be pretty awesome to be a part of that community. It'd be even better to be one of the apostles, right? But except this, but catch this. Imagine being the apostles and imagine living in a town and imagine, imagine hundreds, maybe thousands of people from other towns coming to you one after another and you staying there until everyone gets what they need. That's a grind, isn't it? That's a grind. There's something, there's something about ministry. Man, it, it, it ain't sexy. It'll wear you out. And so if you're, in, if, you're in it for, if you're in it for power and glory, oh, it's not going to work out that way. But if you're in it, if you're in it, if you've been impacted by the Holy Spirit, this is what ends up happening. You'll end up becoming a servant, just like Jesus, and, you, and you'll lay your life down for other people. And you're willing, to, you're, willing to, you're willing to minister when the line has no end. And this is one of the things the Lord, the Lord shared with me this, this week. There's going to be a day when literally the ministry line has no end. There's going to there's be a day when power falls on the church and the ministry line will have no end. It's one of the things that's coming. And that kind of move of the Holy Spirit, it, it, it grows from the structure of community. It grows from, it grows from the cup that is community. It grows from, it grows from the greenhouse of, of sharing life together and, and, and learning to love Jesus together. And, and it, grows, it grows in the greenhouse of of, of being good to each other and it grows in the greenhouse of really making each other mad but deciding I'll forgive you anyway 
here's the deal. You, you get in church long enough, we're, you know, people are going to get hurt, you know? And, and, and one, of the, one of the ways that we, can, that we can further and really lean in into the, into the move of the Holy Spirit and, and see that day when the line never ends and everyone gets healed, one of the ways that we lean into that is just, is just, release, just release each other from the performance levels that we've, that we've placed up there. Here's the story, Vineyard. The story goes like this. Communities actually form for all kinds of reasons, not just because God moves in an area. Community forms because, communities form because of sports. They, they form around TV shows. They form around, I, I, some people even like have community around NASCAR. I, I really don't know how that happens, but, <laughs> but I, I've heard of it, you know? And, um, but, but here's what I, I do know for sure. I know this. I know that, uh, that the people who live in our community, uh, who live in Campbellsville, who, who are held here by location, I, I know because I meet them every week, I, I know that, that we just we live in this town and, and people are really desperate to belong to something good. I mean, ultimately, that's what it's about. They're just really desperate to belong to something good. People have this huge ache on the inside to be accepted, and to just belong to something good. And, um, you know, there's, there's a measure of good, uh, you know, I guess, in, in, in being a community that, that gathers around hunting and fishing and all that. There's a measure of good in that. But uh, we, we have this distinct advantage, especially because we're, because we're Jesus' followers. We have a distinct advantage um, at our community and in our communities uh, when, it, when it comes to church. We have the distinct advantage of actually being able to to heal the sick and take the stain off of people. And um, man, that's what we're called to do. We're called to, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils, feed the poor, clothe the naked, take the stain off of people, and, and just deal with them while they're in process. You know? Amen? Amen. Yeah, so community comes because the Holy Spirit shows up, and then that community perpetuates a further move of God. So I just have one, one last word for the church here this morning. If you're, if you're a part of the vineyard, um, and if you've been here for a little while or you've been here for a long while, I really want to really really charge the whole church to share life with one another. Make room in your life for others. Uh, there, there, are, there are some people here who have found their niche and they found their pocket, and that's great. And then there are other people who are here who have not found their niche. They have not found their pocket. And, and so if you found your niche and you found your pocket, I, I'm just, you know, as the pastor of this church, I want to tell you, open up your niche to at least one more. Take someone in. Take someone in. It'll actually benefit you probably more than them even. There, there's something about laying your life down for someone else. And then if you're, if you're on the outside edges, if you've been here for a while and you don't know how to quite break in, you know, I've said this a couple times, just make your own group. Find a couple other people who are kind of mad. And, and, and just make your own little disgruntled pocket, you know? I don't even have to know about it. I know that came off like a joke. I'm being serious, you know? I'm being serious because, because to the extent that we share lives together is the extent to which God will continually come and show himself, show himself as good to us here. Amen? Amen.